Welcome to Ambassador Audio, the media outreach ministry of Taylor Ministries. Our passion is to see your life elevated to reach your godly potential through the Word of God. We believe you'll find life-changing truths as you hear today's sermon, because no Word of God is void of power. Now, let us join a live service already in progress. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. I uh, have in my uh, right hand uh, today's top ten list, so let's get to it. Anybody a fan of late night television? Anybody know what the blue card top ten list? You get it? You're supposed to like, you know, I'll give you another shot. We're supposed to like, you know, clap and everything when we say, all right, I have in my hand tonight's top ten list. From the home office in Wahoo, Nebraska, uh, it's the top ten list for the top ten things never to do in a marriage. <laughs> uh, let, me, let me just uh, go through these real quick. Top ten. Uh, uh, first one is, uh, number ten is, uh, take, uh, thou shalt not take your partner, thy partner, for granted. Uh, top, uh, number, number nine, uh, thou shalt not read each other's minds. <laughs> Number eight, uh, thou shalt not play the blame game. Uh, number seven, thou shalt not play psychiatrist. <laughs> uh, no point in the fingers, just say a hearty amen. Uh, number six, thou shalt mean what you say. <laughs> number five, uh, thou shalt not use silence as a weapon. <laughs> We're going to have a good time today, in spite of it. <laughs> Just smile, grin, and bear it. Number four, thou shalt not act out thy frustrations. <laughs> and uh, number three, thou shalt not threaten. Number two, thou shalt not uh, belittle one another, even if they are short. Uh <laughs> I didn't mean you. I didn't mean you. <laughs> I was just putting that out just in general. Uh, and the number one of the top ten things never to do in a marriage, thou shalt not triangulate. And everybody said, what in the world is that? We'll get that. We'll get to that, all right? First uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and also verse number 7. Let's read it together here in verse number 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. And when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Now skip down, if you will, to verse number 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together. Everybody say, being heirs together. Let's say it one more time. Being heirs together. Heirs together. Notice that. Heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. A lot of times we want to know why our prayers are being hindered. Well, look to your marriage and we'll see some things. The Bible is our success manual, as a matter of fact. Um, in every area of life, the Bible gives specific instructions in order to have success. Matter of fact, the Bible deals largely with about six different areas. And I want you to just write them down where the Bible will give you success in six different areas. Number one is spiritually. Spiritual health. 
Six major categories of life uh, that the Bible deals with is, number one, spirit, your spiritual health. Number two, the second one is your mental health. Sometimes when people become born again, they think they're supposed to lose their mind. <laughs> Sometimes it's too late when they do become born again. It just... <laughs> You remember the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that be, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Something Somebody put, took out renewing and put removing in there. Put, you know, don't be like the world, but remove your mind. But actually, God wants us to have a, a, a strong mental health. Number three, the Bible deals with physical health. God deals with physical health. We have some promises concerning our physical health and instructions on how to be physically fit. Number four, the Bible deals in the financial health. In financial health. How many know that a financial healthy person, it takes wisdom. It takes, it takes wisdom to be wealthy. And number five, the Bible deals largely with your purpose, the calling, or your destiny health. How many know that God didn't put you here by accident? He did not put you here by a mistake. You are not an afterthought. You have a purpose, there is a calling, there is a destiny that God has for your life. And also, number six, is relational health. Relational health. And that's what we're going to deal with today, is relational health. And uh, someone said to me this week, you know, I've never heard a pastor actually use, uh, you know, marriage principles for a Sunday morning service. Well, you know, um, the reason I'm doing this is that because I was uh, on the Internet a few, a few days ago, and the National Center for Health Statistics report that in 1998, 43% of all first marriages end in divorce within the first 15 years. The national average divorce, the national average of divorce rate is 55% of all, of all marriages will end in divorce. Two alarming statistics to me were the divorce rate within the Bible Belt states, um, the Bible uh, in which we live, was 4% higher than the national average. And divorce among Christians, get this, the divorce rate among Christians was 5% among the national average. Nearly 60% of all Christian marriages are ending up in divorce. And there's something wrong when Christians are having a higher divorce rate than that of the world. Do you want to know, and I didn't include this in my notes, but in the, in the study that I found statistically, there, you know where the lowest divorce rate was? Among atheists and agnostics. And so the atheists and agnostics have some ammunition. Now, and I, want to, I do want to say this this morning, that we are not sharing these things to give you ammunition to share after church with one another. All right? How many have ever been to something where, you know, well, you're not doing this, well, you're not doing that. You're not, that's not the purpose of what we're sharing here this morning. We want you to take a good look at yourself. All right? So this sermon is not going to be good for your husband. It's going to be good for you too. <laughs> it will be good for your husband, but your husband will have to recognize that it's not good for his wife. It'll have to be good for him as well. Amen? And a lot of people will think, well, you know, now it's not really a preacher's, you know, it's really not a preacher's right to tell us anything how to be, uh, 
how to be successful in marriage? Well, the Bible gives us specific instructions, so anything that the Bible covers, I can cover. Is that okay? And it's okay because I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> Amen. Uh, let's get to it. All right? We must discover the keys of unlocking marriage, uh, marital bliss, not only for the sake of our personal lives, but for others as well. And be real honest with you, you know, someone might say, well, that's, you know, there's more divorce going on in, in Christian marriages because the devil is, you know, after Christian marriages. How many know that, you know, how many know that you will go through stuff after you become a Christian, sometimes greater than you do before you were Christians? And, you know, that's, that's all well and good. And, and, you know, at the same time, you know, the devil may, let's just say, by and large, for a general rule, the devil is after Christian marriages. But... There's also scriptures in the Bible that says no weapon formed against us should prosper. What about the greater one is in me than he that is in the world? <laughs> what about the one that as your adversary is going about seeking whom he may devour, that we can resist him steadfast in the face and that we will be more than conquerors concerning these things? Amen. So, you know, the thing about it is, is that we can talk about the devil all we want to about against Christian marriages, but ladies and gentlemen, the point is, is that the devil is against every marriage. Because it represents covenant, and he is an anti-covenant, he is a covenant-breaking personality. Amen. So we need to talk about it. All right, number, uh, number 10, thou shalt not take thy partner for granted. Um, we're, we're going to talk about some of these things, and we don't, again, we're not, we, didn't, uh, we didn't ask your wife what we were talking about prior to this sermon. I didn't ask any wives how to put this sermon together, so we're not picking on anybody. But thou shalt not take your spouse for for granted. And the antidote for this is that we must continually give thanks to God for them whether the whether we are in good times or whether we are in bad times. Now listen real carefully. The giving of thanks, I was sharing this in the leadership meeting last week. Uh, in the good times, thanksgiving does something and also in the bad times, thanksgiving does something. In the bad times, thanksgiving helps us to look for the future. How many know that if we give thanks when things are going bad, it helps us to understand that there is a future. Thank God it's not... You know, ladies and gentlemen, I always could say this. It can always be worse. It can always be worse. Now, again, my, I, I want to clarify something and make a point of this, is that for those that may have gone through a divorce... This is not a condemning message. It's not something we want you to understand. We embrace it, but at the same time, God hates divorce. I myself have been through one. I hate the fact that I had, I had to go through one, walk through the fires of that myself. But the thing about it is, God hates divorce. And the devil does not have more power than the Christian does who's empowered by God to do that. So we want to let you know that there's some antidotes for this. If we give thanks in the bad times, it gives us hope for tomorrow. It gives us hope for the future because, again, we're ascribing to God the thanksgiving that this person was from God. And if God puts you two together, then no man or no thing should be able to separate you. Amen? But thanksgiving does something else on the high side when things are going well, and that is is that you, you still ascribe the success of your marriage not to your own personal gain or not to your own personal work and effort, but that you are ascribing to God that He, is, that he has given you a good marriage. It, gives you, it keeps you in check. It keeps you in place. It keeps you humble when you're giving thanks. Amen. 
So giving thanks for that person will really help in the good times as well as in the bad times, if you're genuine about it, all right? And so we're, we can't take our partners for granted. And uh, when we, te- we, suff- we tend to suffer amnesia when we're going through difficulty. We forget about the good times. We tend to suffer from uh, memory lapses. And, the only thi- and our memory becomes real selective. And so we start using words like always. Never. You never. You always. But, but the point of this is, is that we have to, at that time, in the time of the adversity and in the time of challenge, we have to stir up the good things. We have to remember what caused us to fall in love with that person in the first place. Now, maybe she doesn't have that hourglass figure, but buddy, neither do you anymore. You don't have that varsity figure anymore. You've become very balanced. you become level. The bubble is now in the middle. <laughs> and especially for those ladies that have been through childbirth, gentlemen, just thank God you're a man. <laughs> because if it was up to us, there probably wouldn't be much childbearing. You guys missed a great spot to say amen. <laughs> Are you as co- now here's the question. Please write this question down. Here's a character here is a character question. Am I as kind to my spouse as I am to strangers? Am I as kind to my spouse as I am to strangers? Now what I mean by that is do you treat them with the same kindness you treat someone you don't really know. Are you as kind to them? Are you as kind to them as the day you met? You cannot say in all honesty that you are. You may have too many expectations of your spouse. You may have, you may have an, over, an over-expectation for, of your spouse. Do you feel that they owe you something? That they owe you love or they owe you respect or that they owe you affection? Ladies and gentlemen, when you get to that place where you are feeling that they owe you something, you are taking your partner for granted because they don't owe you anything. You are in this by choice. You're in this because you came together to love one another, to serve one another. But that is not something to be demanded. It's something offered. Otherwise, it's not love, is it? It's coercion. All right? Number, number nine. Let's go to number nine. Thou shalt not read each other's minds. Or expect each other to read. <laughs> expect the other to read your mind. <laughs> you, you, the, there's a real, there's a real, uh, there's a real danger in trying to read your mind. Or what we say is the antidote is don't assume. Now I won't get into the, def, the worldly definition of assume, but at the same time, the antidote is that you communicate. We have to communicate our heart felt needs. There are times that that man is not going to be able to figure your mood out. And he doesn't know what's wrong. And you're not going to be able to figure out when he goes into his stress mode and he don't talk and he's going into his cave and he's not going to be able to, you know, in, you know to uh, verbalize and vocalize his feelings at the moment. There's not, there's, there's, but there has to come a time where you do. 
When you're under stress, men and women react differently. Women tend to like to get it out, want to talk about it, and it just makes them feel better just to talk about it. Guys, we don't like talking about it. We just need, we get this look in our eye like we're going to conquer this thing and I don't need anybody's help. Leave me alone. I'm going to do this. I'm conquest oriented. See what I'm saying? And a lot of times what we do is we try to, we, the communication breaks down. But a communication, please, please write this down. Communication will stem from understanding. I mean, compassion. I'm sorry. Compassion stems from understanding. And understanding is the opposite of assuming. Assuming you are trying to understand, but you are on the wrong precept. You're on the wrong premise. You're trying to assume based upon the way you see it. But, uh, but really, compassion to, to, to feel for this person, it comes from understanding. And that understanding will come from, uh, from communication. But notice this real carefully. Dr. Stephen Covey wrote uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he wrote this in one sentence. He talked about seek first to understand, then to be understood. And in that chapter, he relates a story how that he went to a doctor's office. And when he went to this doctor's office, there was a man there who had three children. And these three children were unruly. I mean, they were taking magazines and throwing them and you know, walking around on the furniture. And I mean, he just... And Dr. Steve, and this man was sitting there, the father was sitting there with this blank look on his face. And, and Dr. Cully was becoming very frustrated because of the unruliness of the children and, and, and more so the frustration because the parent wouldn't take care of these children. And all of a sudden, you know, he's kind of getting a little irate. So finally, at one point where the magazine hit him at one point, he, he walks over to, the, over to the father and says, Would you please... Settle your children down. How many have ever felt like that? Maybe you were in a KB Toys or Toys R Us and these kids are just, I mean, the way they react nowadays when they don't get what they want, you just want to say, God, have mercy upon them because I'm not going to. <laughs> Dr. Stephen Covey he tells this man, could you please settle your children down? And he turns it and he snaps out of his trance, so to speak, and he says, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, we've just lost their mother. And they aren't themselves. Well, immediately, his irritation, Dr. Covey's irritation, moved to compassion because he understood. Now, he felt like an idiot. Well, I didn't know. See, a lot of times, that's the way our life is, is that we tend to judge people when we don't understand them. And when that begins happening within a marriage and we're not communicating and we don't talk about it, we begin to separate ourselves because of our, because of our perceived ideas and because of our assumptions. But we, ha- we cannot try to read each other's mind. You, you, we could fool like a, feel like a fool, but notice this. Communication is the antidote. I want you to write that down. Communication, again, is the antidote. But notice this. There are four types of communication uh, stoppers. There's four types of communication stoppers. And I want you to... This will be kind of fun. You'll like this. You'll understand this because you probably relate to this. Uh, if you're not laughing at someone, you're probably laughing at yourself. But number one, the first type of, uh, of communication stopper is the screamers. Those who yell. How many have ever had uh, a screamer in your life? <laughs> Only four people have had screamers. Well, you are a blessed people because I've had some screamers in my life. 
Those people who yell. But then there are the streamers, those who cry all the time. They feel sorry for themselves and everything is affecting them. Everything's going against them. Ladies and gentlemen, there are people that are streamers. Now listen real carefully. Usually yelling comes out of anger and, and, uh, and, and crying comes out of pity. Now I'm not saying that every time someone yells in your house that they are out of control. Neither am I saying that everyone that cries in your house is feeling sorry for themselves. I'm not saying that any. Again, for the sake of communication... For the sake of communication, these are communication stoppers. All right. Number three, the steamers, those who pout and keep quiet. My house was full of steamers and screamers. Not many streamers, but lots of screamers and steamers. We had people that yell, and those that didn't yell were usually the pouters. Those were. We had uh, we had one individual in my family that could go weeks. With, the, with, with steaming. And then the last one is schemers, those who manipulate. Those are all the communication stoppers. So, number nine, we cannot read each other's mind. Let's move to verse uh, or number ten. Number ten is, Thou shalt not play the blame game. Thou shalt not the play, play the blame game. Uh, who's the accuser? I said, who's the accuser? In Revelation chapter 11, who is the accuser of the brethren? Satan. Blaming never solves the issue, but usually adds more stress to it. It's getting quiet in here. We must really be into something. But that's okay. That's usually when it's quiet. It's usually when the best work is being done. Blaming always triggers a negative response. Please write this down. Blaming always triggers a negative response. No one likes to have a finger pointed at them. Even when you're guilty. I said, even when you're guilty. I mean, I've been guilty, but I sure don't want anybody, you know, pointing a finger at me. Even when you're guilty, don't play the blame game. Blaming always triggers a negative response. Blaming always gets you into more trouble, creates more stress. And ladies and gentlemen, here's the point. Blaming a person never solves the situation. Just because you find out whose fault it is doesn't mean that it, the mess is cleaned up. And so a lot of times if we spend a lot of time finding why and finding out who and finding out you know, just what all this is about and, bl- and blaming them, ladies and gentlemen, we're not getting to the core of the issue. We're, not getting to the, we're, not getting, we're only dealing with symptomatic things. We're, we need to get down to the core issue of how we can rectify the situation. You may win the argument, but you, your relationship will lose out. When you play the blame game, your relationship will, will wind up losing when you play the blame game. The last one is the antidote, and that is for take responsibilities for your actions, but don't accuse others. Take responsibility for your actions and be able to say, hey, you know, I was wrong. You know, there's not a lot of harm. Matter of fact, your relationship will, be, will escalate in value when you say, hey, you know, I blew it. And you know, people will respect you a whole lot more. You know, there's times when I've blown it with my kids. Maybe I didn't keep my word on something. And I, I'm a real, I, I try to be a real stickler to, to keep my word because I want my children to be, be, be able to believe in my word. How many of you know that's a good thing to have as a parent? Is, have chil- is to be a person that your children can believe your word. 
And there's been times when I've blown. There's been times when, when my schedule, uh, you know, I had an interruption in my schedule or something it kept me away from fulfilling a, a promise that I had made to them. And there's times when, I, I, there's times when I've blown up and I may have yelled or I may have said something out of anger. But at the same time, if, if I'm not careful, if I don't take the responsibility of saying, hey, you know what, I, Dad blew it. You know, I've told Kelly, you know, hey, I, I, I messed up here. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And I was wrong, and I'm going to do. I'm going to work harder at not allowing that to happen again. How many know that your your relationship goes? Out? But when you act like nothing's ever, you you can't do any wrong. How many know that you, 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 your stock just went down, <laughs> your stock just plummeted when you think you can't do any wrong? Because we're not. We're none of us are above doing wrong. Amen. Let's go to number seven. Number seven. Thou shalt not play the psychiatrist. How many know that your spouse doesn't need a diagnosis? <laughs> Uh, maybe they do, but you're not the one to give it, all right? E- even if they do need a diagnosis, you're not the one to give that diagnosis, all right? You're not the one to give the diagnosis. You, you, need, to give them, you need to give them love and attention. Taking the role of a psychiatrist will maintain what is called a professional distance. You know, and really, in all honesty, in, my, in the times that I counsel people, there is somewhat of a professional distance in the sense that I care very much about helping that person. I care very much that the information that I give that person is going to help that person to solve this problem. But at the same time, it's still their problem. But when my wife and I are having a problem, it's not her problem and my problem. It has become our problem. And if I take the role of a counselor with my wife, or you take the role of a counselor with your spouse, it will keep that professional distance. And ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing more aggravating than feeling like you have just been, uh, you know, that you're in a psychotherapy uh, session when you're trying to discuss the issues of life. You know, well, you get that from your father. Your father always did this. You're, you know, you're just like your father. This is, and you, you need to break that cycle. You need to break that generational curse. You need to not psychotherapy. You know, you're not licensed as psychotherapy. Matter of fact, you know, among psychotherapists, whether they be psychiatric or whether they be psychologists, they have a higher divorce rate than. Uh, than many of the professions. They have one of, that profession is one of the highest rates of divorce. Why? Is it because they're always trying to analyze one another? What your spouse needs is genuine care and compassion. Give genuine care. That's the antidote. Truly give your heart. Don't, when you give your diagnosis, you're giving your head. But when you give care, you're giving your heart. And you cannot ask for someone's heart unless you give yours. You cannot get someone's heart unless you give yours first. Let's move to number six. We'll go real quickly through these. Thou shalt mean what you say. This means your yes should mean yes and your no should mean no. When things really matter to you, express yourself. When something is important to you, verbalize the importance of it. Usually what, I, what, I, what we always do is we always play the where are we going to go eat now game. Anybody ever play the game of where are we going to go eat now? 
I think everybody's played it at some point. Where are we going to go eat? Oh, I don't care. Famous last words. I don't care. Okay, well, how about so-and-so? Well, where do you want to go? I don't really care, but just not that place. Well, how about this place? No, I don't want to go there. Well, you know. And uh, now, well, you know, I don't really care other than those two places. How many know where I'm going with this? And you wind up going to the same old place time after time after time. But you usually are aggravated and usually usually stems out of some of those situations that arguments can break out. Well, what do you mean? You, you mean your yes doesn't mean yes, your no doesn't mean no. And again, that may not be one of those things that really matters when it comes to life because it's just going out to eat on a night. But when things really matter, it's important that you take the time to say, these things are important to me. And what you're doing right now makes me feel this way. When you open, Kelly's told me the time, when you open the door for me, that makes me feel honored. So, guess what I do? I honor her. I want to honor her. When she, I, I tell her, like when we're driving, if she'll just, you know, play with the back of my hair like this, I love that. I said, you know, you make me feel so secure when you do that. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, uh, you know, the times of the negative. I mean, if you only bring up the times that are negative, well, when you do this, that makes me feel this way. If you only bring up the negative, you've got a bad attitude. Find the things that really kind of add the excitement back to your marriage. Add, 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 the, uh, the, add the, the value back, to add the, the nurture and the care back and say, you know, because, you know, I'd watch... I'd watch couples go down the road and I'd see the wife, you know, playing with the back of the guy's hair and I think, she really loves him. Playing with the back. You know, they might have been, you know, in an adulterous affair. I don't know, but at least, you know, that she was giving him care from what it looked like. (laughs) I don't know. It just looked good. (laughs) How many know what I'm talking about? You don't know who's riding in that car, what they're doing. They could be, you know, on their lunch break and, you know, their spouses be somewhere else. But my point is this, and that's not right. But at the same time, you know, that, that looked like value to me. So when Kelly started doing that to me, it just made me feel so, so wonderful. I don't know how I got into that. It's amazing what you say under the anointing. Um, when you're not, when you don't mean what you say, it will add to your own frustration. When you don't mean what you say, you're the one that's going to suffer, not the other person. Obviously, they'll suffer after you're suffering. That's usually how it goes. But the result is that you're not being real. You need to be real. I mean real in the sense of transparent. The antidote is to be truthful. Be truthful in a loving manner. How many know you can be truthful and have it cut? But then there are ways to be truthful and it will add value. It will add love. It will add honor to your relationship. Number five, thou shalt not use silence as a weapon. Thou shalt not use silence as a weapon. Silence is usually the result of anger and strife. You didn't get your way, so you're going to take it out on your spouse by spouse by sanctioning all communication, cutting off all communication. Therefore, I'm not going to talk to you because you made me feel this way. Well, my point is this. I have a one little 
just suggestion. How many, how many like this suggestion? How many know I'm going to give it to you anyway if you don't want it or not? My word is a little two-word, little two-word antidote, and that is grow up. <laughs> uh, we're adults, and so we can't play the kindergarten ground, uh, playground game of using silence because that is not going to help the situation. Everybody smile like I'm not talking about you. <laughs> but if we use silence as a weapon, ladies and gentlemen, what that does is it, it cuts off the opportunity for, for communication, which cuts off the opportunity for understanding, which then cuts off the opportunity for compassion and for then reconciliation. Just staying mad at them is not going to solve anything. If you don't say something to fix the problem, the devil will say something in your silence to create bigger problems. Did you hear me? If you don't say something to fix the problem, whatever it is, and I don't care if you've been around that same old conversation 50,000 times. How many know there are certain things you could just, I mean, you just get a tape recorder or, you know, something and just put it on play again and it'll sound like the same old thing that you've been doing year in and year out. Because <laughs> it's still the same old pet peeves, you know. But at the same time, at least you're communicating if you talk. Because if you stop talking, the devil will start talking and put ideas in that other person's mind that you're not going to be able to deal with only in much bigger proportions. Can you say amen? The antidote is, con is to confess what's bothering you. Confess what's bothering you. And keep at it until it's resolved. Here's my point. is The Bible says in one, th uh, in one passage, it says, Be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Some friends of mine, very close friends of mine in ministry, they talked to me about this one portion of Scripture. They've actually stayed up because, the, because things became so heated in their relationship. And, you know, we come in here and we, you know, we all want to look like, you know, we've never had a fight. We've never had an argument. We've never had a disagreement. Everything has always been rosy. And, you know, we know if we was watching you coming down Powder Springs Road, we could have heard some stuff on the ne in the next lane. <laughs> but my point is, is that a lot of times we come in here, put the best image forward, and sometimes that's more nauseating than the conversation that we had on the argument. Why don't you go in there and be real? You're all nice to them, but you're not nice to me. See, now I'm really getting down there. My point is this. My friends, they have said they, they stayed up till 6 in the morning the next day called in and canceled and not gone to work the next day because their marriage was more important than their job. When you place that kind of value that you're going to resolve that issue, if it takes you all night, you're not going to go to sleep on this thing. You're not going to go to bed angry. You're not going to go to bed with this thing unresolved. But you're going to stay up and fix it until it's resolved. And put your priority there, ladies and gentlemen. You'll, you'll go through lots of jobs. You don't want to go through lots of marriages. Number four, thou shalt not act out thy frustrations. Thou shalt not act out thy frustrations. Now I know, church, 
Now, I know in church where we never admit to things that are really going on at home, but that's why our children get mixed signals. An example of acting out your frustration would be maybe slamming a door, breaking a dish or a cabinet, garage door, squealing the tires. (laughs) Should I go on? (laughs) Um... You know, when you squeal your tires off, you know, it not only lets your family know that you're upset, but it also lets the whole neighborhood know that you're upset as well. And that's an acting out of a frustration. I don't know if you've, you've probably never done that. I have. Principle is the same point as the last. You're allowing anger to guide you. When you act out your frustrations, you use silence as a weapon or you act out your frustrations, you're allowing anger to guide you again. Here's my point. When anger, when anger is in the lead, ladies and gentlemen, when anger is in the lead, nothing good can come in a relationship. When anger is in the lead, when anger is in control, I lost my temper. Well, where did it go? It was in control is what it was. And when your anger's in control, ladies and gentlemen, my question is, is when anger's in control, who else is in control? Because when you lose it, who's in control? I just can't help myself. Yes, you can. I come from a... line of hot-headed people. We're very passionate. And passion sometimes can be very good. But passion sometimes can be extremely bad because it comes from a hot... A lot of times passion can make you hot-tempered in the sense that you wind up spouting off at people. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know something. I have worked diligently to keep my temper under control. Work diligently. Can I just emphasize the word diligently? I work diligently at times to say, hey, I'm not going to lose this. I'm not going to lose it, lose it and get out of control here. But the principle is, is that we have to work on having self-control because it's a fruit of the Spirit. If we allow anger to follow, our flesh is in control. But when we allow self-control, are you listening? When we allow self-control to be in, in, then we are in check. We stay in check because we stay submitted. Now, I know this is not real. I know we'll talk about this and, you know, we'll go home and some, somebody, I mean, probably somebody sometime today is going to have a fit of anger and do something. Don't get on to them and say, well, you didn't hear what Pastor had to say. That's not the time to be preaching this message. Okay? The opportunity is, is to allow that person the leeway and say, how can I help you in a way that can help alleviate the pressure that you get into anger? Now, some people, it's just it's an inward problem. How many know there's some, pe- there's some people, they're going to get mad no matter what? I mean, if you work in any kind of service industry, if you work in any, there are people that are just unpleasable, if that's a word. 
I'll make it up if it's not, all right? There's just some people that you're never going to be able to please. They're always going to be angry, always looking about out for themselves. But again, here's what we're talking about. If we have a spirit-developed temperament, if we are allowing the Spirit to control our temperament in the sense that we are allowing Him to control our emotions, we're allowing Him to control our actions, then what we're doing is that we're constantly developing. I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. I know there's Jesuses in me, but there's still a lot of Jeff left. You were saying, yep, because you know what... It's, it's not about... He knows that there's a lot of Jeff left in me. All right. Here's my point. Is that we must remain... In the sake, for the sake of our relationships, under self-control. We must have self-control. Take, again, responsibility for our own actions. Notice here, number three. Thou shalt not threaten. Now, let me define what threatening is. Thou shalt not threaten. Threatening is this, the dictionary says, a gesture or an act that is designed to perpetrate harm physically or emotionally. Threaten means to a gesture, an act that is designed to perpetrate harm physically or emotionally. Now let me just let me just say this right here. In dealing with my in dealing with my kids, sometimes there are consequences. I we I, we don't use threats anymore. We just say, I just tell them there's a consequence to the decision that you're contemplating right now. Is that a good way to put that? I never threaten my children anymore. I used to say, if you don't, I'm going to... But that's a threat. And threats are not always the best way to raise your children. And it's sure never the way to treat your spouse. I know we've got some teenagers in here, but there are, there are times where couples will threaten their intimate life. Well, if you're going to act this way, I'm not going to be with you. That kind of threatening will kill a marriage. You can write it down. Threats kill marriages. Because it destroys the sacred trust that that person has invested in you. Using threats to intimidate your spouse or anyone else is to demonstrate your weakness and insecurity as a person. For you to have to resolve to a threat constitutes your weakness and your insecurity that you can't handle them doing that. What if they keep doing what they're doing? Then there are consequences. If they keep, For instance, if your husband doesn't know how to stay on time <laughs> and they're always late, you say, hey, there's a consequence. If we're going to constantly be late, I'm going to have... Uh, it's important for me that we be on time. I'm going to have to take another car. Again, it's not a threat. But you realize that that's an important thing to you. And if, if your husband is wise, he'll say, honey, if that's important to you, it's important to me. But never to threaten. If you don't... And let me say this real carefully. I want you, everyone to write this down. Teenagers as well as married, singles as well as married, never, never, never threaten with divorce. Never allow the word divorce to come in 
to the conversation. And I am very strong on this point. Yeah, I may have been through it, but I will never, never, never allow the word to divorce to come into my relationship with my wife. It's just not an option. It's not an option for both of us. Oh, yeah, it's a legal option, worldly option, yeah. And people are doing it all the time. But, ladies and gentlemen, it's not an option where God's concerned. Yeah, there's forgiveness for it. Sure, there's forgiveness for it. Yeah. But the, the havoc that divorce wreaks in not only your life, but everyone that's connected to your life is devastating. And anybody that supports divorce in your life, you need to alienate. Does that make sense? Separate from people that work a divisive measure against your marriage. If you've got people that are constantly talking about your spouse in a negative light, you need to separate from them and don't have any fellowship with them in that area. I, I am very strong on this area. If you've got, a, I don't care if it's your mother, if your mother cannot talk about your spouse in an uplifting, confident way, I don't care how, how justified the comment may be, if they can't support your decision to marry that person, they need to be alienated. Can, can, Continue to limit the conversation to things that have, don't have to do with your marriage. You'll save your marriage if you will. You're a fool if you allow your if you allow your family to talk about your spouse. You're a fool if you allow them to do that. You're a fool to allow friends to talk about your spouse in a negative way. Smile. Divorce should not be an option, nor a consideration, nor an alternative. The moment you do. You have broken the vow of trust and commitment and started unraveling the fabric of marital union. The antidote is, be committed to your spouse as unto the Lord. I don't know about you, but I will never, never, never go back on the Lord. I'm saying that confidently. He's done too much for me. And that doesn't mean because I'm a preacher either. Because there's a lot of preachers that, that, that have backslidden. There's a lot of preachers that have, that, that have went out and lived in, in the way of the world. But ladies and gentlemen, I don't have anything to go back to. I don't want to go back. Don't even have a desire. Not even an inkling to go back. And just as solid as my commitment to the Lord Jesus is, so I must also reinforce through my thoughts, my attitudes, my actions, reinforce my commitment to my wife as well as to the Lord. The same way. If I'm com as committed to her as I am to the Lord, we will not have problems. If she's committed to me as much as she is to the Lord, as long as her commitment stays to the Lord. See, we believe as Christians that Christ comes into the union and actually blesses the union and enhances the union. So why in the world do we have a higher divorce rate in the church than the world does? If the Lord's the center of it. Why then do the atheists and agnostics have a lower divorce rate than Christians do? You know, Mormons have the same amount of divorce rate as the world does, but they have less than the Christians do. And they're big on... They, they, they promote... You know, they advertise. They're big on families. And I'm not against... I'm not against, you know, them supporting the divorce. But the thing is, is the facts and the statistics still remain that they have the same amount of divorce rate as the world does. My point is this. We have got to take what we believe in this book 
and put it in the face. This is the acid test of our Christianity. If you can't live it in front of your spouse, you can't live it in anywhere. You can't live it in public if you can't live it in private. You can say all manner of what you believe and how big and bad and how, how much doctrine you know and how much Scripture you can memorize and how many things you, how spiritual you are and how much you pray. But if your spouse doesn't see it and if they don't see you acting that way at home, ladies and gentlemen, your religion is in worth squat. Because if it doesn't change my family, then I don't need to change the world. If it doesn't affect my family to serve Christ, then I have no business going to another, uh, another country. Well, I'm kind of strong on that one too. Number two, <laughs> I thought I was going to be done 15 minutes ago. Thou shalt not belittle one another. Now, this is where I do have a personal struggle. Because I, I was raised with teasing and sarcasm. And I, I was used... I, you know, I, I've used this so much in, in just getting to know people and just giving people bad time and just kind of, you know, having fun and joking with them. But sometimes the teasing... Sometimes the teasing stops being funny. That's where you have to be sensitive. And, you know, Kelly and I, we, we, you know, we do things. We, we, we have fun with one another. And sometimes I do tease her about how short she is. And, but, you know, dynamite comes in small packages. So, uh, But I found that sarcasm and teasing don't stay funny after a while. It really turns into detriment. Because if you... See, as much as, I, as much as I may tease my wife about her stature, I say at least four or five things that lift her up. And if I don't supply the good, and I'm always teasing, using sarcasm, joking, then she will get to feeling after a while that there's more to the teasing than just jokes that there actually is some honest feelings being revealed in my teasing. So I'm working on it. I'm working on that area just to make sure and keep the communication open that no matter what we say, because there's such intimate time and intimate feelings where this relationship is concerned, that we make sure that we're just playing. We have a great relationship. Matter of fact, Kelly and I, we have not had, uh, we've not actually had a yelling argument ever. We've had disagreements. We've talked about things at, at, at times that were frustrating. We've had times where they were emotional. But we actually never had an argument argument where we were storming out of the room at one another, mad at one another, because, and, you know, we've been married a year and a half, and so maybe it's not enough time. But really, we've just made it. We've just consecrated it as a decision that we're not going to just go there. We're, we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to become a part of our our everyday living with one another. That we don't allow ourselves to get to that level. We don't become so strong in the sense. Now, I can be a very strong person. I, I'm. I can be a very very strong person. But then again, Kelly, she's pretty strong herself too. I like it. I like a strong woman. I like a woman that you know knows what she wants and stand up for it. Because if you get a woman that doesn't know what she's going to stand up for, she may fall for anything. And so she knows, but she knows what she wants. And there's times when you know what she wants, what I want, they may not be exactly the same thing. So we got to we got to back up and regroup. Say, okay, what's important here? And there's sometimes I'll take her lead. 
A lot of times she'll take my lead. And again, she submitted to me, but sometimes she makes more sense. How many know women most, most of the time are right? Ladies? Giving you an opportunity here. <laughs> A lot of times the ladies are right. You know, and, and one of the biggest... One of the biggest challenges for ladies to do is to say, is to not say, I told you so. <laughs> but when we belittle one another, listen real carefully, belittling just doesn't just come from the sarcasm. It comes from the I told you so's. It comes from making, making, that, making your spouse second guess one another. Second guessing themselves. And again... Our responsibility as husbands is to love. Remember what we read in Peter? He says, Husbands, love your wives, give honor, giving honor to them. Honor them. Listen real carefully. As unto the weaker vessel. He didn't say that they were the weaker vessel. How many know that pre- preachers have said, Oh, the wife is the weaker vessel. They're not the weaker vessel. Anytime you're in childbirth room, they are not the weaker vessel. And a matter of fact, there's a lot of times they are stronger in some areas. But you give honor to them as to the weaker vessel. In other words, serving them. And sometimes our, uh, our teasing or our comments may cause them to second-guess themselves. Don't joke about her weight. Don't you dare joke about her weight. You'll be in the doghouse if you joke much about that area. Ladies, don't tease him about him, his hair turning loose. <laughs> he can't help it. <laughs> it's hereditary. <laughs> he can't help the gray. He, I mean, he's been living with you for a long time. I mean, you, you know yourself is that to put gray in anybody's hair. <laughs> Here's my point. We want to grow old with one another. In the fear and the love of God, don't we? We want to have something that tells the world, hey, we got something worth standing for, all right? And the last one, or uh, sarcasm and healing. It reduces the self-worth of your spouse. Notice this, the antidote is practice the ministry of encouragement. Practice the ministry of encouragement. Encourage your spouse. Stay strong for them. Encourage them. Start looking for ways to encourage them. Tell them they did a good job. Tell them you appreciate what, they, what they've done. Hey, honey, thank you for taking out the trash. You know, I, I finally put my foot down in my house. I told my wife, if I want to do the dishes before I vacuum, that's my choice. And my choice alone. <laughs> I'm going to do what I want to. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and she always tells me I do a good job when I do the dishes. <laughs> no. She encourages me. No. Practice the ministry of encouragement. Instead of looking for the bad points and telling what bad they did, look for the for the good points. And the last one is, don't thou shalt not triangulate. Now the the triangulate is really this: it's using a third party and their opinion, whether it be kids, family, or friends. You don't become more loyal in your conversation or commitment to someone else then you do your spouse. Don't triangulate. Don't try and use someone else's opinion. You know, 
I've had people come, come in my offices and say, well, you know, well, all my friends see. And I said, wait just a minute. All your friends are not married to this person. And all your friends may be conditioned by your response to your spouse. If you're rolling your eyes at your spouse because of something that they said, that's the wrong response because you are showing to your friends that you're more loyal to them than you are to your, your spouse. Hello? Triangulation means to use a third party. There are four types of relationships. Why don't you write these down real quickly? We're going to close up here in about five minutes, all right? There are four types of relationships. There is, number one, there is moving from one another. Moving from one another. And when we're talking about triangulating, we're talking about these kind of relationships. There's moving from one another. And that is isolation. Moving away is isolation. Moving over one another is domination. It's domination. I've seen, I've seen both husbands and I've seen some wives that were dominating. Ladies and gentlemen, neither are correct. Neither are correct. Moving over one another means domination. But moving against one another is retaliation. Moving against one another is retaliation. Well, you did this, well, I'm going to do this. You did this, I'm going to do this. And we're always retaliating. Be very careful. And then the last one is moving with one another. And again, we're talking about spouses, not triangulating. And that is cooperation. Moving with one another means cooperation. The antidote is this, is leave your spouse, lean on your spouse... Even when it's difficult. I almost said leave your spouse when it's difficult. Lean on your spouse when it's difficult. <laughs> Again, these are the top ten, th- top ten things never to do in a marriage. God has called you together as heirs together of the grace of life. That is the Zoe or the God kind of life. God has called you p- to partake of this kind of life in your marriage. Ladies and gentlemen, God's desire for your marriage is that you have an abundant life marriage. Turn to your husband or turn to your wife and just tell them. Say, God's called us as heirs together to have an abundant life in our marriage. That is, that, that, that's the abundant life. It's a joyous life. It's a life of peace. However, we must realize that establishing that kind of life in our marriages will take faith, work, and patience. If we pay the price, not only will we experience that kind of marriage and the kind of marriage that God has designed for us, but we will also be able to lead our children and others into that same kind of covenant. Now listen very carefully. I'm real strong on these areas in this sense. That covenant is very big with God. God is a covenant God. Everybody say that together. God is a covenant God. Let's say it one more time. God is a covenant God. He instituted marriage as the highest form of reflection of the relationship 
that He desires with mankind. And when we don't understand our covenant with God, it'll be much harder to understand our covenant with one another. A covenant is not a five-year contract renegotiated at the end of the contract. A covenant is not something that we try out for ten years. A covenant is not canceled or negated because adverse situations come in. My point is this. A covenant is a covenant is a covenant is for life. And as heirs together, ladies and gentlemen, we can become partakers of the Zoe kind of life. And therefore, we can become... Now, listen real carefully. My point so much is not so much just to improve the marriage conditions just here, but in improving marriage relations in our own church, we can improve marriages in our community, in our relationships with other people, and hopefully will affect the Christian community enough that the divorce rate will begin to be lowered. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Georgia has one of the highest divorce rates in the Union. And there's something happening in our, in our state and in our, within our reach that if we don't find an answer... Ladies and gentlemen, Oprah Winfrey is not the Messiah of marital bliss. She's never been married. How does she know? Talk shows are not where you should be looking to how to have. And I'll be honest with you. I think the, the, part, of the, part of the divorce rate increase is because of talk shows. They get people down there talking about all their garbage and they start belching out that mess and all of a sudden the people that are watching, well, yeah, I'm going to do that same thing. Oh, I can't believe it. I, I, I guess I don't deserve this now, do I? No, you probably don't deserve it. But at the same time, that doesn't give you the right to go divorce. Amen. Let's stand together. Glory to God. We're going to keep it on a high note. Try to anyway. My point is this. I want you to get passionate against divorce. Get passionate again with your marriage. In the next few weeks, I may be sharing on a Wednesday night where the youth are going to be, when the youth are going to be in their time. Of, of service where we can talk about some things in a marriage that is not necessarily appropriate where youth and children are concerned. Now, I believe that we have a responsibility as a church, and listen very carefully, here's, here's, here's a conviction of mine in ministry. I believe that the church, along with parents, should get on the same wavelength and teach our children how to have proper marital relations. We should not allow public schools to educate our children. That ungodly atmosphere in society does not know how to maintain the proper godly integrity of the way that marriage should be viewed. 
So I believe that we have a responsibility at some point to take the girls and the youth to a classroom and take the boys and the youth in a classroom and we need to talk straight to them and quit mincing it. But at the same time, if we don't talk about it in our services on a, on a, on a regular level, and I'm talking about sexuality things. I'm talking about intimate things. If we don't talk about them in our circles, we'll never talk to them in their circles. And as long as we tee-hee and ha-ha and skirt around the issue, ladies and gentlemen, we'll stay in the darkness because God has called us into the light to have a marriage bed that is undefiled and to have bliss like never before. Have joy, have a peaceful marriage so that when others look at it, they say, what is your guys' secret? What is it? We need to be going where you're going to church. We need to be going. We need to be doing what you're doing. How did you get that way? And you'll be able to sit down and talk to them and say, "Listen, if it wasn't for the Lord, we wouldn't be together." How many know it takes the Lord to stay together sometimes? And it's going to be and it's going to be that way. It's going to be that time, that way at times. It's going to be tough at times because marriage again, a good marriage takes work. Doesn't happen automatically. But thank God we've got the power of God to help us and to set us free so that we can have that kind of marriage. Amen? Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes for a moment. Father, I thank You, first of all, that You are the great relationship healer. You took the broken relationship of fallen man and sent Jesus. And You were able to repair that broken relationship. You know how, not only to have good relationship, but Lord, You know how to remend broken relationships as well. And Lord, there may be some here this morning that they are going through some difficult times because again, marriage in our society is not the easiest. Lord, matter of fact, you prophesied in Timothy where that in the last days that an overwhelming number of people would start just living together and just giving in marriage rather than actually making the commitment to becoming consecrated to one person for the rest of their life. So, Father, first of all, we thank You because You are the example that we have. But second of all, Lord, we thank You that Your power is present here through Your Word to help us, to empower us, to give us a strong constitution to stay put, to stay, self to stay self-controlled through the power of the Spirit. And, Lord, that we may honor and encourage our spouse, that we may bring value to them, not put them down, that we may build them up so that we may elevate them to new places. Lord, that our best friend is the one that we're sleeping next to every night. And Lord, we thank You for that. Lord, help us to be not only have, not for only us to have it, but Lord, let us become examples. Let us become leaders in that role that we will say, if you've seen the way our marriage is, you see the way a marriage should be. Not perfect, but pressing into maturity. Lord, I thank You for that now. And I worship You now for that. We praise You for that right now. And Lord, I'm asking for You to strengthen those marriages that are under fire right now. The ones that are having some trouble. I'm asking You to strengthen them. There are some, there are some people here even this morning that may be under some very challenging circumstances where it comes to their marriage. Lord, I'm asking You to move into that, that marriage right now and into that relationship. Begin to heal the hurts. Heal the wounds. Begin to heal those things.
But Lord, don't just heal them, but give them again the antidotes of how they can start doing the right things rather than just always doing the wrong things. We thank You for that now. In Jesus' name, if you would, keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Is there anyone here in this morning that you say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I really never made a public confession of my faith in Jesus Christ, and I would like to receive Jesus this morning. I've never, really don't know what it is to be a Christian. I feel like I'm a Christian, but maybe, maybe, maybe it is that I've never asked Jesus directly into my heart. I'm not going to assume that I, I have, but I, I want to make a public confession. I want to, I want to invite Jesus into my heart right now. If you're here this morning, you'd like to invite the Lord into your heart right now. And you're feeling that conviction. You're, con- you're feeling like you need to do something right now. And you've never asked Jesus into your heart. I want you to do that right now. If you've never done that and you'd like to do that right now, would you just raise your hand? Say, I'd like to invite Jesus into my life right now. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Glory to God. Then by the lack of hands that have gone up, then I, I trust that everyone has made a decision for Jesus Christ. And let's do this. Can we, just, can we do what we did at the very first one? And that is, let's give thanks for, to God for our spouse. And, and, and young people, I think, or singles, I think you need to just thank God right now. Thank, thank God right now for what God is going to send you. That He's going to put, He's going to put you together with the right mate. That He's going to put you together with the person that's going to add value to you. That's not going to manipulate you or try and dominate you or try to take away your worth. But you need to praise Him right now because you're in a better position than ever to say, all right, I know what I need in a a spouse. I know what I I need. I need someone that loves God with all their heart. I know I want someone that is going to be submitted to God and going to be, is going to be, going to be the kind of wife or the kind of husband that God desires them to be. And then I'm going to become the kind of husband or wife that God would desire me to be. So I'm going to get ready so that when my spouse does come, that I won't be sitting, I won't be sitting in, a, in an unprepared condition. How many believe that? Let's just lift our hands right now together and let's begin to thank God. Father, I thank You first of all because You have supplied me with my heart's desire. You said that she was a crown to me. And Father, You said that in the name of Jesus. So I thank You now for a good wife. I thank You for a good wife. I thank You for a wife that's loyal to me, that loves me, that encourages me, that blesses me, that is constantly for me, that she's constantly, she's constantly looking out for my welfare. And I Thank you for listening to this message. For other ministry products like the one you've just heard, please write to us today at Taylor Ministries, P.O. Box 4483, Marietta, Georgia, 30061. Or you can view other products on the web at www.taylorministries.com. Until we hear from you again, please remember, as the Word of God grows in your life, it will prevail over every circumstance. If you give a man a fish, you fed him a meal. Teach a man to fish, and you fed him for a lifetime. That's what Taylor Ministries is doing. If you have enjoyed the ministry of Jeff Taylor, why not prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Taylor Ministries? This international ministry is reaching out to people of all walks of life, touching them through the uncompromised Word of God. Through your prayers and financial contributions, you are causing spiritual fruit to grow 
and remain in the lives of thousands of people. Help us elevate the body of Christ to their godly potential through the Word of God. We know in our modern culture that it may be easier to use your bank check card. For your convenience, we can now take your debit card or major credit card for one time or monthly donations. Please help Taylor Ministries to spiritually feed people of all walks of life so they can benefit from the Word of God for a lifetime. <laughs>